tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. And if you put me back in the White House, their reign is over. Their reign will be over. And they know it. And America will be a free nation once again. We're not a free nation right now. We don't have free press. We don't have free anything. In 2016, I declared, I am your voice. Today, I add, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. Not going to let this happen. Robert Gibbs. How you doing, my friend? There you are. He's back. He's always so subtle. I don't know. He's our, he's, he's our retribution. I don't know what he means. I mean, he just, it seems like he's hiding in words. <laughs> well, I know who knows <laughs> what it means. Good thing we have her. Yes, the, she, can, she can sort Trump ease out like no one else. Our friend Maggie Haberman from the New York Times is with us. Hey, Maggie. Hey, guys. You f- f- followed this CPAC conference over the weekend very closely, which really became sort of a rallying cry for the Trump wing of the Republican Party. Uh, what did you make of his 90-minute oration, other than that it gave you chills and flashbacks from many years past? Yeah, or and not so many years past. Uh, past. Um, it was one of the darkest speeches that I've heard him give, David. And that's it, that's a that's there's a high a bar. Lot. Yeah, there's a high yeah, bar for that competition. Um, the retribution line uh, was obviously what jumped out at me and jumped out at a lot of people, um, because it's it's making clear, uh, you know, how much a second Trump term would be about payback, which is, I think, what has always been the, the likeliest assumption. But it's rare that you hear a candidate kind of incorporate retribution into his into his yes. campaign platform. So so I was very well, let me just that. interrupt you to say one thing. I've already been practicing my lines, which is and one of them is it wasn't me. It was Gibbs. Uh-oh. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's, that's good. It's good. It's good to look toward the future. Um, the, the other thing that struck me about the speech is that he gave it right after he told reporters that he won't drop out of the race if he is indicted. And you can't view these things separately. They're all of a piece because he is also going to incorporate uh, if he is indicted and he is facing four investigations, two different states um, and two at the federal level. He will incorporate that into his candidacy just in a way we don't, I mean, you guys know this better than I do, but when you see somebody uh, who is a candidate and they're facing legal problems, they don't usually make it a point to talk about it all the time, but he will. And so I think this is just going to be, you know, we are in uncharted territory. Gibbs, how, and I, I pose this to you and then back to Maggie, but like how much is this about 
being president again? And how much is this about putting a force field around him because of all of these legal cases? My, my hunch is a little bit of both, but I also think there's a huge play in the Republican Party to push off what he's categorized as the deep state. I mean, he He's always wanted to politicize any investigation. He'll want to politicize any grand jury testimony. He'll want to politicize. I mean, in a world in which, you know, uh, the Justice uh, Department and whatnot is more black and white, he'd love to throw it into the filter of a 50-50 political world. That's 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 where he thinks he's got a fighting chance. And so I think he's going to that that's the card that he'll continue to play over and over again, regardless of what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that's true. And I, it is both. I also think there's an aspect of it. And I was thinking about this, Gibbs, as you were talking, where he, Donald Trump is, as we know, after watching his presidency, where he was being impeached. There was an impeachment inquiry or there was possibly impeached. There was an impeachment inquiry going on and he would talk about it all the time and sort of do the thing that he was being investigated for. It's like when he was being investigated by Mueller for possible obstruction of justice, and he kept doing things that could very reasonably be construed as obstructive. Um, I put the retribution line in that same category at a time when he's being investigated for possibly fomenting uh, this attack on the Capitol on January 6, 2021. By the way, it wasn't, it turns out, you guys, it was not a, an attack on the Capitol. I saw Tucker Carlson last night. He has the video now, and it turns out that these people were just sightseeing. They weren't trying to stop a government, you know, stop the succession of uh, uh, power. They weren't trying to destroy stuff in the Capitol. They were just looking around. I mean, it's I, I, I'm I'm stunned, actually. And so probably are the 800 or more people who have been convicted for what they did in the Capitol that day. And the people that have been hurt. Yeah, I feel like you're delivering that too straight. Um, the, uh, um, kept, kept waiting for the lilt in your voice. Yeah, he was. He practiced it too much, I think. <laughs> no, but, but but what I'm interested in, Maggie, too, is is from your view of the history of Trump. I don't think Trump does anything by happenstance, right? It's all he may vamp a lot, but I think it's all very well thought through. What what is I think he's not just positioning himself against uh, a, a panoply of would-be prosecutors, but how does what he's talking about in this speech position himself in the race for 2024? Because you heard for a long time, this is a, they're gonna they're gonna get him away from talking about backwards. They're right. gonna get away from stolen elections. Yep. Obviously, when when anybody walks up, they they have the right to ignore the teleprompter. But it seems <laughs> like for ninety minutes, that would be uh, that would have that would be that'd be quite a quite a period of ignoring. Oh, uh, it's a great question. I, I want to, um, and it includes the word panoply, which I think was impressive. That was true. You know, something yeah. that is true. If we should, I should go back and I should grade all the words. Um, the <laughs> I. I the one thing I don't entirely agree on is that everything is well thought out that he does. I think a lot of what he does is the pinball Fair. ricocheting around the machine. In this case, though, th there was absolutely a lot of thought that went into this speech. The retribution line was in the in the remarks. Uh, his team was very pleased with them. Um, but in terms of what he's trying to do electorally, or they're I should say they're trying to do electorally, they're trying to make Trump a former president and a guy who was his own swamp creature in New York City for decades. 
an outsider again. I mean, that is really what that speech was about. Yeah, that speech yes, was yes. about, I'm running against the old party. He tried to make the, the entirety of the Republican Party in Donald Trump's telling before he arrived is all about the Bushes. There's no, there's yes. no Reagan. There, there, there's, you know, there's no, there's no Goldwater. There's no anybody. Uh, there's no Nixon. It's really just the Bushes. And he is trying to compare himself to, to that. And he is trying to make Ron DeSantis, who is his biggest threat, a part of that whole. Well, l- let me just say on this beating the Bushes thing that, uh, I, you know, uh, when Jeb Bush spoke kindly in a way that sounded like an endorsement of DeSantis, it, you know, he, he quickly rescinded it probably at DeSantis's request, uh, because, uh, they knew that Trump was going to take this and run with it. And in the, I don't have this particular clip, but he, in one of his, uh, uh, in one of his things in the speech there, he, he talks about not returning to the party of, and one of the people was Jeb Bush. So it's clear that he's going to position DeSantis as the establishment Republican uh, in this race. And, you know, DeSantis himself sort of cooperated <laughs> in some ways by, or not cooperate, but he certainly illustrated the, 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 the contrast by speaking at the Reagan Library on the same weekend that Trump was speaking at CPAC. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And he, he, here's what, uh, Here's what DeSantis uh, had to say there that seemed, you know, he's been very, very assiduous about not engaging Trump. But this was probably uh, the closest he came in that speech uh, at the Reagan Library. In four years, uh, you didn't see our administration leaking like a sieve. You didn't see a lot of drama or palace intrigue. What you saw was surgical precision execution day after day after day. I, I will say, I must say, that clearly was a contrast. It should be pointed out that he surgically removed several of his chiefs of staff and executed yeah. them. Uh, <laughs> so, so there, you know, there may not have been as much public drama, but apparently there was some inside the DeSantis camp. But he clearly was saying, you guys, I'm tr- you can have all of the stuff you want, uh, you know, the stuff you liked about Trump, but not the craziness. I mean, that seems to be what the message is. 100 percent. And and to be clear and fair, DeSantis is not the only person who is delivering that kind of a message. He's just, you know, the person who I think Republicans, the donor class, um, you know, some other elected officials. Huge think crowd is the best. there at the Reagan Library. 1,300 people. It was it sold out. And there are a lot of people who want to look at him. And and give him a road test and, and see what he has to say. But I absolutely agree with you that what he is selling is I'm Trump without the crazy. Um, and that has been clear that that was going to be what he presented for a long time. But I think you raised a point. I, you, were, you know, you were obviously certainly joking about the executions, um, but your point about that. Yeah, just just for, for those listening. Thank yes, you for no. cleaning that up. That I'm was just a, yes. No, um, taste, a tasteless <laughs> joke. The word is eradicate uh, after common CPAP. here on Hacks on Tap. The, I think that um, it is important to note, as you say, that actually he has had plenty of staff drama. It just has not been bleeding into the press the same way as Trump's, you know, Michigas always does. Um, but because DeSantis is actually still not very known by the national media, I don't know what this is going to look like. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't talk to the national media. He speaks to Fox. And he speaks to the New York Post 
Um, he doesn't talk to certain aspects of the of the right wing media ecosystem. He doesn't talk to Breitbart, doesn't talk to Steve Bannon. They actually are huge influencers in that space. And, he, and, and they make a point of aggressively, you know, tweeting out emails from from mainstream media reporters. Um, I don't know what this is all going to look like. There's a lot that is not known about him on a national stage. And I think it was David Axelrod who said a, a campaign is an MRI for the soul, yeah, right? MRI Isn't that the, the soul, right? Yes, so, yes. so I don't, I don't think he's had his MRI and I don't, you know, it's, it's fine to pitch himself that way um, as sort of Trump without the drama, but I don't, I don't know that that's the case. Well, he'll get his MRI for sure. Gibbs, go, go ahead and say what you want to say, but I want you to answer this question because you're more expert on this than anybody around. Can you run a whole race just talking to Rupert Murdoch properties? This is exactly what I was just about to ask Maggie. Um, uh, <laughs> I might want to hear her answer first. I think in a Republican primary, it goes yeah. a huge way just because right. the reach is uh, the the reach is way way different. I don't. I think you can play off not talking to the New York Times and to CNN pretty well in a Republican primary. What about MSNBC, Buster. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I think that uh, I, I don't know how that works when you go into a general election and you've got to appeal to, and, and I'm not sure that, I'm not sure you can make that change quite so easily, uh, you know, on a dime because you're all of a sudden, you're, you're not as practiced having do that. I mean, I, I, I think of when I look at politicians now facing questions is if they've answered the question over and over again, the answer just gets better in how they do it and how they deliver it. I don't think Ron DeSantis, is, if he's the nominee, can pop up in August or, or in July and start trying to appeal to a, a whole segment of voters that aren't going to intersect with that media ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, um, that, that's a high cost of of trying to out Trump Trump or trying to offer yourself as Maggie says, as Trump without the crazy is you're still Trump. You and, know? and and he ran he ran for for governor a lot like this, right? He, he spent a lot of time on Fox securing the nomination. Uh, at that point, then I think you you know by definition it minimizes kind of the the beat reporters uh, essentially that are following you. I just think it's going to be. I think it's a bit harder on a national race, and I think um, I, I think it, it'll 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 be tough to pull off. I'd, I'd love to hear Maggie's thought on that. No, I think I think that's. I think that's right. I have a slightly, um, slightly different uh, click, just a click different take on this, which is that I agree with you that I think in a Republican primary, it helps you. I do think that he is setting himself up to have a very hard time coming back uh, to the middle in any meaningful way. It actually um, reminds me it's not it's it's not the same in terms of the, the just the level of um, antagonism toward the mainstream press because Romney was never like that in 2012. But it does remind me of aspects of how far Romney went and then he sort of had to try to track back. And DeSantis has this weird coalition within the Republican primary of people who like Trump and people who don't like Trump. So I actually think that he has a strange two-step he has to do. Well, he should, let me just interrupt you. I mean, we've talked about this a lot here, but what he offers of people who don't like Trump is someone, I mean, it's the, paradoxically, it's his appeal to people who do like Trump. They more than anything are looking for someone who they think can beat Trump Correct. and win the election. They right. and they they and you know and maybe it's more important for them to beat Trump than even winning the election because they want to get rid of Trump. But that's where this next period of time, and then I just want to um, make the point about about Fox. 
that's where this period of time is going to be so crucial. And I'm talking about like the next 90 days where DeSantis is doing this non-book tour book tour um, because he's refusing, as you noted, to engage Trump on Trump's level, which is almost no one can engage Trump on Trump's level. We saw what happened to Marco Rubio and all sorts of people who, who tried. Um, but I do think that for the number of people who have said to me in conservative circles, you know, I can't wait until DeSantis starts unloading on Trump. And I'm like, I don't really have reason to believe based on my reporting that that's where we're headed. In terms of the Fox piece, I don't know that Fox, Fox is obviously an enormously significant with Republican voters uh, as a media property. What Fox is not is the same Fox News it was when Roger Ailes was running it. And I don't really know that they are able to program their audiences to like Ron DeSantis the way they may have been able to program audiences a couple of years back. I do think there are other elements of the conservative media ecosystem that are more equipped to do that. And that's not who DeSantis is talking to. That's my point. But it's interesting too, Maggie, because you're foreshadowing, I think, or or this idea that DeSantis has to invade, and he's running very much in it, the Trump lane, right? Yes. The Florida legislature starts today. Yep. To your right. point, everything that Trump talks about, mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis is over the next few months going to be able to, or or try to be able to say, I did that. I didn't just give a speech at CTAC right. about him, right? I did this in a place like Florida. I can That's do right. this nationally. That's his message. Yep. Yeah, and I think it's fascinating, will be fascinating to watch. Trump has always occupied that sort of blue-collar Republican lane in a way that that he gives up the college-educated, let, let yep. them get all split up by yep. four or five people, Yep. you know, let Sununu and others jump in, take some sliver of that, I'm going to maintain this. I'm I'm interested in your what you just said about Marco Rubio because I think when we got to at certain point in 2016, Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz both knew they had to out Trump Trump or they thought they did right. And what they we've seen is like nobody plays Trump quite like Donald Trump. Right. And do you think Ron DeSantis is any better configured to be able to absorb that lane? Because if somebody doesn't absorb a decent chunk of that lane it's really hard to see how they're successful in this project. Maggie, before you, before, you, before you respond, a couple of points that I, I want to make before I forget them. Uh, Ron DeSantis. Ron write him down, brother. It seems to me that he is pretty thin-skinned, or he appears to be that way. But when he actually gets challenged, I mean, I watched him debate Charlie Crist, which should have been... Yes. He should have gone in there with the confidence of the Harlem Globetrotters playing the Washington Generals, right? He was going to beat Charlie Crist in this race. He should have been confident. He should have been calm. And, you know, you remember Chris sort of beat up on him and he kind of, you know, his eyes were twitching. He was shifting uncomfortably. And all I could think of during that was, what's he going to do when Donald Trump's on that debate stage and unloading on him? And not just Donald Trump, by the way, because, you know... uh as uh, uh, Mario Cuomo used to say, in ca- nobody shoots in cowboy movies. Nobody shoots backwards. Right. I mean, right. When you're in front. Everybody's after you. Yep. DeSantis is going to be pressured, and the same yes. is true if he steps out of that uh, protective silo of Fox and has to answer anyone else's questions. So um, I, I just wonder how he's going to uh, respond to all that. And then the second point I want to make, unrelated, is that. 
Um, you know, when it, what's interesting about the race, and this isn't the first time Trump has, this has happened with Trump, but DeSantis actually, when you look at his background, is more authentically who Trump pretends to be in that he comes from sort of a blue collar yes, background. Absolutely. He served in the military. Yep. He's, you know, everything that Trump, you know, isn't. Yeah, no, I agree. So I think that you I think you hit on a couple of really important points. One is that the Trump team absolutely thinks that DeSantis is as you described him, which is somebody who can be poked to react. And you see it in what they're what they're doing. Um, some of this is just for their own giggles, because that's how Trump land is in terms of how they're mocking him. But some of this is also to try to get a reaction. And you're right about what happened on that debate stage, particularly there was a really uncomfortable moment for DeSantis when Charlie Crist tried to challenge him on promising that he would serve all four years of the term. Yes, exactly. And and, and he just stood there like a statue. Um, yes. Now, you can do that with Crist, right? I mean, I think that we forget, you know, DeSantis had a decisive victory. He was one of the few Republican bright yes. spots last year. That's a, that's a real thing. And that's a real record that he can point to. But he was also facing one of the least popular, you know, candidates yes. in that state. So it's not exactly, it was not the toughest or most evenly matched fight. And so I do think that that's a real open question. And this sort of was what I, what I was trying to say before about not knowing how he's going to perform. I don't know what these next 90 days are going to look like. I think that a lot of these events that he's doing are going to be closed uh, to the mainstream press. To your point about engaging, you know, how, how far you can go in a Republican primary not engaging with the Times or CNN, you can go pretty far, but you can also then find yourself at something of a disadvantage for a general election Absolutely. because it's just it's just preparation. And everybody thinks they know how to be on a national stage until they get there. Now, I do think he it, he is better positioned to absorb that Trump lane for for a, a simple reason, which is Republicans around and this is around the country. This is not just Republican elites are more invested in him succeeding than they were in any Trump alternative in 2016. And that potentially counts for something. I say potentially because I have no idea. I mean, it could it could dissolve fairly quickly if he doesn't do well. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I was I was very struck recently by an interview that he gave to The Times of London. Again, another Murdoch property, which seems to be where he's talking. Yeah, his book was pub published by Murdoch's book publisher. Yes, too. correct. And he got asked. Um, Sensing a pattern pattern a yeah theme, exactly a theme. you he salute got, he, you he got he got asked a question about about ukraine and it wasn't even that he was you know sort of giving an answer that was in line with you know the the maga foreign policy approach or trump's base he just tried not answering it at all and you're really not going to be able to do that for that long especially when you get on the debate stage so okay then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back Gibbs, I have to tell you, and I'm not embarrassed to say it, I'm in love, man. Tell me more. Yeah, I've had to fess up to my wonderful wife of 43 years that I'm in love with something else. Uh-oh. Not someone else, something else. And uh, she totally understands because she is too. That's this Helix mattress. This is something that we got as a product to talk about on this podcast and they sent me one in order that I know what I should be talking about. And man, this is really the best mattress I've ever had. They send it sort of in this weird sort of freeze wrapped thing. I don't know how they do it, like a big plastic wrapping and you unfurl it and it is the most comfortable mattress I've ever had because they design it for you, specifically for you, for your sleeping habits. 
Ben, I've heard you talk about this, and Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand that provides tailored, as David said, tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences. The Helix lineup includes 14 unique mattresses, including a collection of luxury models. Presumably, that's what you have. A mattress for big and tall sleepers, and even a mattress made just for kids. So how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? Take the Helix sleep quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. Even Axe passed this test. And your personalized mattress is shipped, probably shrunk wrapped, straight to your door free of charge. Helix knows there's no better way to test out a mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. If you try it, you're going to love it. And I'll tell you something, give something else. I like Helix mattresses are American made. And uh, if you doubt my word, and I don't know why anybody would, Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It is even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. So what do people do, Robert? Well, they take advantage of the 12,000 five-star reviews because Helix is offering up to 20%, 20% off all mattress orders and acts, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash hacks. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Gibson, let, let me ask you a question about Fox. Never heard of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm t- and I'm, I'm not talking about Jeff Fox, our splendid <laughs> oh, okay. engineer here, but I will call on him in a second because I, I want to play and I want both of you to comment on uh, something that Steve Bannon, yes, he's still at large, by the way, he's not in prison yet, but, but may soon be, but he was free to speak at CPAC and uh, this is what he had to say to Rupert Murdoch. They don't respect you. Read the depositions. The deposition, they have a fear, a loathing, and contempt for you. And you are the ones that can make changes. The shareholders, if you want your share price to stay up, you need to take action. The first thing you need to do is get rid of Paul Ryan as an independent director. If Paul Ryan's saying if Trump wins, he's not going to go, then you got to get rid of him. The Murdochs immediately have to start covering President Trump. No, no, no special deals. Just cover the man, asking the tough questions. But we need to hear the voice of Donald J. Trump. Gibbs, what do you make of that? It's classic Bannon and classic Trump, right? I mean, I, I don't. I love that. Read the depositions. Then they start talking about independent directors. I, I'm sure the crowd's wondering, like, what is he talking about? And all of a sudden, they're like. <laughs> We're opposed to Paul Ryan, and they're wow, that's yeah, great. Well, Paul you know? Ryan is like red meat for that crowd, exactly. And it, it, it's it's a, it's the exact same sort of war on the establishment that Trump did in the CPAC part of his speech. And I think, look, I I think what he's trying to do is we we do know from the depositions that the Fox C suite, <laughs> right, is very concerned about what happens if the Trump voter 
starts to turn on a different right. channel to get its information. That right. Right, yep. that hurts DeSantis because he's programming it to reach all of those through that one outlet, even though I think Maggie rightly suggests it's a very different media ecosystem than it might have been just a few years ago. But he's putting pressure on on Rupert by putting by getting basically the base saying to we're going to take your listener viewers away. Absolutely, you're going to go and, somewhere else if you don't cover Trump. And it pressures it pressures Fox to cover Trump. It pressures it probably pressures DeSantis to do some things. So I, I look again. I I think the the way that they do the ban and Trump and the, they they put pressure on people in a really really important way in terms of trying to ultimately get the result of what they want. I mean, I, I don't think Steve Bannon spends a lot of time thinking about the makeup of the board of directors of, yeah. of Fox. <laughs> no, but Paul Ryan, Paul Ryan, who who, yeah. who is a character in this. But if they know there's a pressure point, and look, the, 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 the big part of this, and, and I got to say, I think, and I'm going to ask Maggie a question about this too, is people I think have have underestimated the continued appeal of Donald Trump and the continued fervency with uh, the fervency of the base. I mean, there's a great Fox clip. I wish we had it. I should have pulled it where one of the Fox and Friends guys is down and, uh, you know, in Southern Florida during the DeSantis, beginning of the DeSantis book tour. And it's in a diner not far from where DeSantis is from. And they're basically, I think it's Brian Kilmeade goes around from Fox and Friends like, oh, who do you support? And the first three people are like, oh, Trump. And right. he's 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 expecting the, them all to right. say DeSantis. And I, you know, again, that's my one of my questions for Maggie. I feel like, do you feel like this sort of the 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 demise of Trump has been dramatically sort of overblown? The way that I look at this, because this is a conversation that I have with people a lot, is he's not nothing, but he's not what he was. And that makes measuring exactly what he is now very hard in terms of his strength. Um, I think that anybody who says he's done, that is clearly a mistake. He's leading every poll. Now, it's, he's not leading by, by a majority. He's leading by a plurality. There's definitely been real erosion. Uh, but I think that he would get the majority of these Republicans back. if he. I think the number of people who would stay home is not as great as people envision. Uh, I do agree that his base is incredibly durable. And uh, and I think that all of the things that have been sort of national events like January 6th and then the hearings about that day and Trump's efforts to cling to power have not had some broader sort of bipartisan Nixon era um, you know, impact, which was obvious that it was never going to be that way because the country's too bifurcated. Um, and politics are too bifurcated. But I do think that he is stronger than people think. I think that, the, the, you know, there are plenty of Democrats that the two of you and I know who are rooting for Trump to be the nominee mm. because they think he will be the easiest for President Biden. One to of be. them may be sitting in the White House. Well, I was as, as I was going to say, <laughs> because he is he is he may, I think more than one in the White House because he would be the easiest for President Biden to be as the is the projection. And I would not make the statement that, which gets made to me all the time, Trump can't win another national election. I don't know that to be true. No one does. So, David, you know, obviously there's lots of jockeying about who will and who won't run. We saw Larry Hogan, I think not surprisingly suggest uh, or say- That was not, yeah, that was not a surprise. Right. On Sunday that he's not going to run. David, what do you, and I don't want to ask this of Maggie, she's covering the race, right? But the chances that the Republican nominee for president in 2024 is not named Trump or DeSantis. I think the odds are relatively low. Okay. I think history would suggest that the odds are relatively low. 
the the if you start off with this much of a vote in your pocket, that's a lot of oxygen. And the only question to me is, do these guys so savage each other that's and wound each other yep. that there's some that there's an opportunity uh, for someone else? But the, the 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 trick here is, if the field becomes too populated, it definitely does uh, uh, help you Trump. Know, it does help Trump, as we discussed last last week, and as Maggie knows. Uh, you know, Trump also, while he wants to be the outsider, is actually the insider when yes. it comes to state parties across the country. He'll control the rules. He'll control uh, how uh, these primaries and caucuses and conventions go down. Um, you know, uh, so if the field gets large, that favors him. But I, I think that I think this DeSantis thing is is real. Uh, I think that. Um, you know, you guys were talking earlier, Maggie was talking about um, how DeSantis is presenting himself. We all were talking about it. One of the things that occurred to me in the last couple of days is you hear this in focus groups all the time. People are, the thing you hear is that things sort of feel out of control, right? And this has been true since the pandemic and because of Trump. Things feel out of control. And I heard one woman in a focus group in Peoria a couple of weeks ago, a Republican focus group say, you know, people talk about autocrats and all that. I'd, I'd say I, I'm, I'm okay with that if they can actually get stuff done, if they can make things work. Right. Uh, and that's sort of what DeSantis is peddling. Like Trump talks, I actually do. And that goes to you guys' points about the legislature. And I'm thinking about that if he does survive. We talked about the downside of DeSantis if he survives. The upside of DeSantis, is if he, he survives, is he's a 44-year-old guy who's been a very muscular sort of autocratic leader in Florida. I mean, if apparently if he has his way, uh, Maggie, uh, journalists won't even be able to use anonymous sources uh, uh, in reporting on public figures. Mm-hmm. He wants to change libel laws. Yeah, it's part of the does, legislative yeah. agenda. Yeah, I mean, it's he. It's a breathtaking sort of agenda that he's got but the subtext is i freaking get things done yes okay i know how to get things done and when you look at what biden's weakness is politically i think uh, uh, unwarranted in many ways but it's that he's not strong enough that he's not in control that he's and so you get this young guy who's muscular and in Mm -hmm. control and you've got biden who people feel is 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 maybe too old and maybe not in control you can sort of see where that thing could become scary, too. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. His his folks are concerned about that. His folks are concerned about DeSantis and have been for some time for the reason that you just said. I think that you also hit on something that I think is is not part of sort of the broader, not reportage, but but certainly, you know, the the, the high level discourse is I, I think it's pretty clear that um, Donald Trump certainly exhibits autocratic uh, tendencies. You just identified them you know, in terms of DeSantis's behavior as well. There's a, a sizable portion of the country that is just fine with that. And I, it's, you know, it's not that they don't understand. It's that they care about what the actual results are. And so I think that that is going to become potentially complicating for Democrats, particularly if the matchup is, is Biden versus DeSantis, because Biden versus Trump is the highlighting of the Trump crazy and the sort of the, the, the swirl of chaos all the time. Um, the, some of the folks around Biden they're they're very sensitive to the discussion about his age, um, and and this has been going on for a while. 
but it's a very real concern among voters. It's not one that's being suggested to voters. And I don't know, you know, I don't know how that gets dealt with. Biden has a very long list of accomplishments that's very real. I don't think that they've always been able to, I don't think they've always been able to articulate that or sell it uh, as well as they'd like uh, and explain it to people, but it's very much there. Um, But I am struck more recently by all of these moves that Biden is making on immigration, you know, and the move that he made on the DC crime bill. And crime. Yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, I can, but I can see, and I don't want to, I don't want to jump ahead here, but I can see where, where they clearly think the race is headed. uh, And it's very striking. Well, I think what they're trying to do, and it's a good time probably to segue into the the Biden part of this, but I think what they're what what they're ultimately going to get to. I mean, I do think to Maggie's point, and we'll get to it in a second. They're they're trying to minimize the 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 parts that they think that could be vulnerable in terms yep. of either Biden's record or or belief, particularly I think in sub, among suburban voters that DeSantis or Trump somebody's going to have right. to try to win. But I, I think that what you'll see from the Biden camp is, you know, th- they may concede that. DeSantis has some muscularity. Um, I think they're probably going to color it as muscularity in things that, quite frankly, either aren't all that important to real voters Mm. or Mm -hmm. that muscularity actually goes into cutting things that are terribly important. I think today's op-ed around Medicare. Yes. And I think it's really smart what the Biden team is doing. This isn't the the, the op-ed is is outlines not just don't cut Medicare. Right. It's here's here are the steps I'm going to put in the budget to strengthen Medicare. Remember, DeSantis has got some bad votes on this in the House. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're they're basically going to try to set up like, sure, you know what this guy is? This guy's really good at getting books out of the library. How many of you think your quality of life is really going to be impacted by the fact that To Kill a Mockingbird is not available at your public library. What I'm working on is making healthcare more affordable, prescription drugs more affordable, the right. roads you drive on better. Uh, I think that's the sort of contrast, even as I think they are very, very smartly, uh, I don't know how this is going to work out, but very smartly trying to to cleave off the vulnerabilities that they have, particularly around crime and immigration. Well, you know, the thing about being, you know, I think they're relatively secure now that if he does run, he's not going to have any kind of serious challenge. That gives you the freedom to move uh, that you wouldn't have if you had a challenge. We talk about how DeSantis is pinned down because he's got to get past Trump. Uh, But Biden doesn't have that concern. And so he, you know, he he is able to move on issues like immigration and crime in a way that positions him more in the center where he feels more comfortable, right. I think, yeah. naturally. But uh, that's what, uh, that's what you know, fending off any potential challenges uh, does for you. Maggie, I, I just want to play one more piece of tape. This, this may sound like we're going backwards, but it's relevant to this discussion. One more clip of Trump at the uh, press conference that he had or the presser at the CPAC convention when he was asked whether he would support the nominee of the party. The RNC has said that you might have to sign a loyalty pledge to participate in their debates. Is that something you would do or else? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm just hearing about it for the first time about the loyalty pledge. There are probably people that I wouldn't be very happy about endorsing, you know, running. So we'll see. I think uh, some of them, I won't use names. I don't want to insult anybody, but some of them I would not be very happy about. So I'll have to think about that. Far be it from him to insult anybody. Don't you love that? Like, I really don't. I'm sorry, David, but I'm not here to insult people. 
It's also it's also got the the the, the often used Donald Trump. You're just telling me for the first time, right? This, yeah, thing, right, exactly. this thing that I've known for months and weeks. Yeah, but what what what? I mean, I think the <laughs> other thing the Biden people are counting on Maggie is that if Trump isn't the nominee, that he will be a huge pain in the ass Correct. to whoever is. Yes, I, the, the, and and they're right to to count on that. You raised before the prospect of DeSantis and Trump tearing each other down. I really think that's going to be a pretty one sided teardown. Um, I, I, it has been said to me explicitly by people around Trump that if Trump senses that DeSantis is running away with it, um, that that Trump is going to do everything he can to try to keep DeSantis from getting the nomination, which will obviously, if he does not get the nomination, hurt him enormously in a general election. There is what about no, if he does get the nomination? What will Trump do after that? Well, I was going to, about to say that there's no reason to believe that Trump is then going to fall in line um, and be supportive. I don't think that Trump would really run a third party candidacy. This comes up with him perennially because it's he pretty hard to do. It's hard to do. He doesn't have the organization exactly. ex- skills for it or actual, you know, infrastructure for it. Um, but what he can do is go around and lob all kinds of grenades. And that I expect he will do until he gets what he wants. And I don't know what he would want in that given moment. Could uh, it I don't be, know a blanket pardon. I don't just Well, I was gonna say I, I mean he's under he will no, but really, I mean he will be facing, yeah. you know, he's potentially going to be under indictment at that point. So I can't yeah. cleave that off from the campaign and what his desires might be, but he will, you know, twist the knife until he feels like he has gotten something to his satisfaction. Um but you know, party harmony is is not one of his strengths. And the whole <laughs> thing with this with this debate pledge, th- th- this this I must support the nominee thing was always a pledge that was going to favor Trump and hurt potentially all of the other Republicans because all the other Republicans are going to say yes, I'll do it. Trump was always the the only one who would be like, "Nah." I mean, Pence I think has been a little squirrely on whether he would back Trump. Um, you know, I still anticipate he would. Um, yeah. But Trump was, this was always going to favor Trump. Pence is, you know, there was this, uh, I mean, we did, a th- I did a thing with him back on my podcast back in late in the year. And he said the exact same thing he said the last in the last week, right. which is, you know, I think we'll have better choices. He never explicitly says, no, I won't support Trump. I think too much was made of what, he, you know, he, he just was recycling a lot that a lot of Republicans are using. But Gibbs, can you imagine if DeSantis is the nominee or anyone else? Uh, uh, don't uh, don't they come under extraordinary pressure to say, "I won't pardon Donald Trump"? Mm. I mean, doesn't that become like? Can you imagine question. that if they don't do that before a debate, if there is a debate, a uh, presidential debate, that's going to be Biden's going to ask that question six times in a debate right well this is the pressure point that democrats have on and and i think this is why it's going to be fascinating again to watch maggie pointed out the next 90 days i think when they're both declared can can uh candidacies uh when desantis joins the race how this primary plays out because again they're they're both driving down the same lane and so we we certainly know from practice that ideological primaries get much harder to put those coalitions back together, particularly if the other party is deeply aggrieved, as Trump would certainly be, right. uh, to say the least. So I, I look, I, I think you could imagine um, Trump trying to extract those sort of promises uh, out of him. I think the idea that DeSantis is going to have to go uh, very much kind of kiss the ring uh, and again, the Biden campaign will love and project those images 
into the suburbs of America to say, like, guys, look, the name may be different on the Republican Party, but actually the guy pulling the strings is the old guy, and and there's that real danger there. I just think this pardon thing is big. All right, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break, and now a word from our sponsors. If you're a business owner that likes to jump to the news highlights, you'll love Indeed. Well, give them the headline, man. With Indeed Instant Match, you can instantly receive a list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. You know, Gibbs, before you and I uh, headed off to Washington for government service, I ran a business for 25 years, and I only wish that I had Indeed then because hiring can be really, really hard. And to have something like this, where you immediately get relevant applications from good, solid applicants is really a blessing, especially for small businesses. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. You hate waiting? I sure do. Indeed's U.S. data finds over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. And something that you'll love about Indeed is that it takes hiring, as Axe said, all in one place and makes it easy. For Instant Match, candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed data. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Indeed does the hard work for you. Sponsor a job and boom, Instant Match shows your candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately after you post. With Indeed Match, you can start hiring fast. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. Visit Indeed.com slash hacks to start hiring now. Just go to indeed.com slash hacks. That's indeed.com slash hacks. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, I'm watching the Chicago mayor's race, which very much is devolving into a debate about how to what to do about crime. Paul Vallis was nominated uh, with the support of the Fraternal Order of Police. Very much, you know, he is running on kind of a, a platform that you'd be familiar with coming from New York, Maggie, which is, you know, we're going to go after not just murders, but also carjackings and all these, these, these crimes that are sort of become quality of life issues. Uh, for people in Chicago. His opponent, Brandon Johnson, is a progressive, former teachers union organizer. And his platform is to has been to divert money from the police department to 
mental health workers, social services, other programs that he says will have a more uh, impactful kind of effect on on crime. And your mayor, Eric Adams, yes. was commenting on this over the weekend and what it meant that Chicago's mayor, Lori Lightfoot, was the first elected mayor in 40 years to lose her seat. Let's listen to what the mayor had to say, Mayor Adams. Is what happened to her a warning sign for you? Here in New York? <laughs> to the contrary, I think it's a warning sign for the country. Uh, Eric Adams has been talking about public safety, not only on the co- campaign trail, uh, but for the first year. I showed up at crime scenes. I knew what New Yorkers were saying, and I saw it all over the country. I think, if anything, it is really stating that this is what I have been talking about. America, we have to be safe. Yeah. Biden seems to be getting that message. Mm. And just to be clear, I mean, we should talk for a second about not not just the message he's getting, but the way in which he delivered that message to a bunch of House Democrats that yes. had, I mean, it, it, it's not, it shouldn't be lost on anybody that, so obviously, so the D.C. Uh, City Council voted to reduce penalties on a series of crimes, including things like David mentioned, carjackings over um, over the, the veto threat and the opposition yes. of the mayor. Uh, it passed, I think, unanimously. The mayor vetoed it. Uh, this lands in the House uh, and, and House Democrats thinking that they'd read this uh, wonky statement of administration policy that the Biden administration opposed because of home rule and things like that for D.C., uh, opposed um, intervening on the way D.C. governs itself locally. Uh, lots of lots of House Democrats voted uh, against this resolution uh, to to withdraw the to to change the the way that the city governs itself in with respect to crime, Biden's at the House Democratic retreat the night before. Doesn't mention that he's changing his position on this. Lands at the Senate lunch the next day and preemptively tells them, "Look, I know the Senate's about to vote on this. I'm not going to veto this. I'm not going to stand in the yeah. way of Republicans." Yeah. And now lots of Democrats doing this. I think not just the fact that he landed on where he did sort of realizing what Mayor Adams, Mayor Lightfoot, and a lot of others understand about it as a quality of life issue, but the way he did it, I think also sends a very important political signal. What, I'm sorry, what, what, how is the way he did it what sends a political signal? But it's just well, the I, basic- just, I, I think that he was, uh, meaning, meaning he's not, there wasn't a debate about this. I see there what you're wasn't saying. there wasn't this like, right. oh, you know, the typical sort of the 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 administration is thinking about withdrawing mm-hmm. its support for. He just went and went into yeah. the lunch and did it and apparently had somebody at the White House call the House side and say, Oh, by the way, he's at yeah. lunch and here's what he's saying. I'm sure they I appreciated think, that. Well, but what are they gonna do in response? I guess is Gibbs point. Listen, right? I mean, <laughs> here's the point. Right. right. That's the point. It underscores to me just how how attuned they are to this idea of an issue. And and look, this has been this way for a long, long time, if you go back in the history of Biden, but also the defund the police stuff and things like that. I think they are attuned to it. And I think that it's going to sail, especially now that Biden said what he said, it's going to sail through the Senate because there are a lot of Democratic senators who aren't going to walk the plank on this one to uh, progressives in the party on an issue like this. And of course, before Biden took this position, there were there were a number of senators, Manchin and Tester, who's running for re-election uh, in a very tough state, who uh, who spoke out, uh, uh, you know, and took the position that he's now uh, that he's now taking. Uh, so yeah, that's going to be interesting to watch. And I think the Chicago mayor's race 
will be watched closely as well. I mean, I think that uh, if Vallis wins that race, there's going to be more impetus to uh, to really make sure that the party is responsive on this crime issue. Can I say one thing, though, what you were saying? You, you raised my mayor, um, and I'm using my in quotes, um, Mayor Adams. Well, you're, you, you're a New Yorker, right? I am, yes. No, I'm here in beautiful Brooklyn. Um, but uh, the uh, arrogant, so two things have happened in the past uh, couple of weeks. The Biden administration has made clear that they are going to use Eric Adams as a surrogate going into 2024. He's going to be on some kind of advisory board that they're that they're looking at. And I think Biden personally likes Adams. Um, but I think that Adams has always been right in identifying crime as a real issue in New York City. Hasn't exactly stopped it. But though. that's what I was going to say. And his own approval ratings are now underwater. So I don't know how effective a messenger he is going to be in helping Biden, uh, you know, sell the idea that that crime is being taken seriously. New York has obviously become a pretty big focus for Democrats in terms of the House losses um, and in terms of how uh, the governor, Kathy Hochul, campaigned on that issue or didn't um, until late. But um, yeah, New York was a disaster for Democrats and crime was a big reason for a it. Big, it was a big part of it. And, I, and so I think that um, I do think the White House is very attuned to this. I think Gibbs is absolutely right that I think that they are handling this in a way that signals they're not really going to brook a ton of pushback because they're in a position where they don't have to, David, as you noted. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not sure about how they're planning on going forward on on highlighting this. The Adams thing has been interesting to watch. You're saying he's not an ideal spokesperson. I, he, or at least may not be, right? I mean, I, you know, I don't know how this is going to... Yes, he's right. He shows up at crime scenes, but I think people would rather the crime scenes got stopped in the first place as opposed to the mayor shows up at them. So, and remember too, DeSantis was in New York uh, a week or yes. so ago talking crime. He was in Chicago yeah. uh, speaking to the FOP. I think yeah. what I think Maggie's making a really good point that there are two sides of it. One is talking about doing something on exactly. crime, and one is doing something on crime. Yep. And so. I mean, look, I think Biden, at least they're politically and rhetorically getting in line with sort of where uh, where they know voters are going to be. Because, again, if you're trying to get back to winning those suburban voters, and, and again, New York's a great example from what happened in the 2022 election, that's going to play a big role in it. We'll be following uh, this, but we've got some business to take care of. It's listener mailbag. <laughs> Uh, yes, indeed. It's it's listener mailbag. And if you have questions, Gibbs, what's the email that people should send letters to? Letters. Oh, man, have I? Wow. Yeah. Letters? You want letters yes. now? Yes. At and, an email uh, so address. I want, yeah, I want everybody Dear to, David. I want everybody to hand their questions to the Pony Express and have them deliver it to this email address. <laughs> That's hacks on tap. At gmail.com, please uh, send a self-addressed stamped envelope to David Axelrod, who will pen you back a handwritten letter in response. (laughs) All right. All right. It's a long question that somebody wrote in a letter to Maggie. It's from Doug. (laughs) And Doug Doug writes, it seems that Ron DeSanctimonious is a rare nickname miss for the former guy. I mean, there's nothing Nick about seven syllables. While his previous names for opponents have been quick and cutting, this one also seems to have the disadvantage that people have to look at it, have to look it up. If you were Trump, what nickname would you give? Would you use for an opponent like Ron DeSantis? What's the top vulnerability you seek to go after? 
Um, so a really I, good question and yeah. very good penmanship too, Doug. The, Go <laughs> <laughs> so with it, with the caveat that I'm not in a position to give advice, that's not what I do. But uh, Doug, you are correct that uh, there has been a lot of uh, complaining about the Ronda Sanctimonious nickname from people around Donald Trump who think that it's too long, too clunky and, and doesn't quite work. I will note that Donald Trump's um, nicknames are almost never come up with by Donald Trump in the moment as he likes to present it. Like everything else about Trump, um, the real work is done by somebody else and then Trump goes out and sells it. And so he has a lot of advisors and allies who have been suggesting Roger nicknames. Stone was supposed to be behind the Ron DeSantis. I, I have heard the same. and I Oh, interesting. And, and I, I think there is something to it. I think that Roger Stone is never uh, that far away from Donald Trump over the last, you know, uh, 40 years. So Stone throw away. Say it. Wow. That was really quick. Um, no, the, uh, and nice penmanship on it too. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but, uh, but I think that what they are looking to try to do is uh, try to do, there's a three buckets. One is just sort of personally, physically insulting, um, which is why you saw it. Heard tiny D is one that they're talking about. Ron establishment is one that they were talking about because they want to paint him as the establishment as we've been discussing. Ron Dishonest was another one that uh, came up in conversation with them because they're trying to, and they're going to do this as they look at sort of his history as a congressman, but they're going to suggest he's somebody who, who says one thing and then does another. Um, but those are not the ones that stick in people's minds. The ones that stick in people's minds are the ones that voters see as having some attribute um, that rings real to them that they know already. So low energy jab. Right. Um, you know, Lion Ted with Ted Cruz. Um, he's not quite in there yet. What do you call him, Meatball or something? Uh, somebody suggested Meatball to him and he started testing it out. And then I reported it and he went into denial mode, which is the default when I report. This something. is the first I'm hearing of this, Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Gibbs, yeah. a guy named Nick, not nickname, but just Nick. What House GOP investigations have the potential to do the real damage politically? Is there anything Biden can do to get ahead of this? Uh, good question. Uh, look, I think there's there's lots and lots and lots of this happening. I think you've seen in the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, there, there's been a, a whole lot of discussion around uh, the origins of COVID. That's been helped in some ways in the media by uh, the FBI's weighed in on this. The Department of Energy and others have have weighed in on this. I, I think, uh, look, obviously to me the, the biggest the biggest potential is is something that is right and aimed at Biden and his family and in in, in Hunter Biden. Uh, I, I think they're trying to uh, play the politics card, which I think is smart. I do think, and there's been a lot of coverage in this probably in the last sort of 36 to 48 hours, the, the real concern, I think even among Republicans, that Jim Jordan is way over the tips of his skis right now on this idea of uh, federal whistleblowers uh, that are going to come out and suggest that law enforcement is basically in the pocket of of Democrats. I, I think they've they've seen they've had a lot of challenge uh, finding somebody to actually uh, produce the goods on this. Uh, so I, I'm going to change the question slightly because I think, quite frankly, if they roll out in, in another David Axelrodism, if they roll out the cannon and all that pops out is a flag yeah, that says yeah. bang, uh, that, <laughs> that's uh, one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> that, 
you know, th- th- there's a reverb on this, I think, also for Republicans. And it gives uh, it gives the Biden camp the ability to play the they're just playing politics card. They're just playing politics card. Obviously, the Biden thing to me, uh, the Hunter thing is a little bit more dangerous uh, for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is we know there's somebody, um, uh, you know, special counsel investigating him right now that could make something like what a Jim Jordan could do. Uh, and, and easily painted political into yeah. something that's quite frankly legal. So, Maggie, just on this point, is it possible that all these Inspector Clouseaus there on the Republican side just bungle this thing and make it look like a circus in a way that blunts the impact of what they're doing? Look at what happened with the vote for House Speaker, and I think we have answered the question, right? I think this is not a group of people um, who are functioning together and necessarily rowing in the same uh, direction. There has already been, you know, just making this a little broader, what exactly they should be investigating, how aggressively they should go after January 6th and try to make that an issue again has been a bone of contention and they're not all on the same page. Exactly how to handle the Bidens, uh, they're not all on the same page. So yes, I think that there is a possibility uh, that this goes too far and and misdirects. you know, and I think that these are people who we haven't mentioned this. They're getting pushed by Trump to do certain investigations that are very personal to Trump in his mind. And Trump is not exactly known for his subtlety or helping his own cause. So mm-hmm. um, I think having him out there looming as a, you know, as the as the squawk box in the background at a theater is is potentially problematic, too. All right. Gibbs, you have one for me. I do. Gordon writes in literally almost perfect calligraphy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Secretary. <laughs> so tough to read, but I'm going to go slow. Secretary <laughs> Buttigieg. He came in a scented envelope. Go ahead. <laughs> Secretary Buttigieg has had a difficult couple of months in his current post and in my eyes has done damage to his prospects as a future leader within the party. Should the Democratic powers that be consider pulling Pete Buttigieg from his current post in an effort to stop the bleeding and allow him to resurface in a different role? Or would you leave him out there to try to turn it around? Well, look, uh, Gordon, question. I, I think that Buttigieg has been the object of a lot of attacks for the very reason you suggest. I think uh, the Republicans recognize him as, you know, forget about what his future prospects are. They, they recognize him as a pretty effective spokesperson for the administration. I mean, he's the guy that they send on Fox to, to duel with the Fox uh, uh uh, you know, anchors and he, he uh, you know, he's very, very strong as a communicator. So they want to take him down a peg. Yes, future prospects may be part of it, but current effectiveness as a spokesperson is, is I think, primary. And look, he, you know, we talked about this last week. Uh, uh, the administration should have been in, uh, in, in Ohio, in East Palestine, Right away, we we learned that lesson the hard way during the uh, oil leak in 2010 in the uh, Obama administration. It's not enough to do what you should be doing. People need to see you doing what you should be doing, uh, and you need to show empathy. And uh, they got there late. Buttigieg, as he's acknowledged, got there uh, late. Uh, but you know, we always judge these things in the moment. Uh, Buttigieg has plenty of time to recover from this. Uh, he, you know, he should take strong action on some of these issues relative to ra- ra- uh, rail safety, air safety. He'll also be uh, around the country 
uh, cutting ribbons on a lot of infrastructure projects that will be uh, received with favor by the the people in those communities. He's he's got a, he he can come back from this, but he is definitely going through a hazing here, and the object is to uh, sideline him as an effective spokesperson for the administration in the upcoming campaign. I think. Undoubtedly. And I would suggest a, a couple of points uh, to build off of what you said, David. Just because somebody is making a charge about Pete Buttigieg doesn't mean that actual people are believing that charge. Okay. Uh, I, and I, I think, David, you put it well. The reason that they're throwing these punches and trying to rough him up is so he, he will decide to step back and play a lesser role. Um, I, I haven't seen any real evidence that thus far, uh, the critiques of them of him have have wounded him in, in in any material way, other than reporters and others saying there's a lot of things that they're throwing at him uh, that suggest he might not be as good as you or we thought he was at his ability to do his job. Again, yeah, but there are I, Maggie, there are there are things that have happened on his beat. Uh, yeah, well, are beyond probably beyond his control, but nonetheless, I'm sorry, Robert. Let me ahead. just finish my one because I, 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 that's the the next place I was going to go. Look, Pete wanted a big portfolio. He wanted something like transportation and all those issues, David, that you list: air safety, rail safety, all the things. You can't just think, oh, you know what? I want a job where they're going to pass a giant infrastructure bill, and all I get to do is cut ribbons at new right. airports. You've got to deal with the bad shit. Right. And so yeah. if you're Pete, you got to be more forceful and more out there and more out there quickly. If if we've got a, a more than a few planes that look like they could be colliding, as we see in news reports, rail safety is a myth. They've got to be more forceful than saying, you know, when the Southwest crisis were going, well, you know, if, if this continues, we're going to, yeah. boy, we're yeah, gonna, yeah. I'm going to send another letter to the CEOs of the airlines. He's going to yes. have to be more forceful. He's going to have to play that role because if people don't see him playing that role, then yeah. exactly what I was, he's going to, then those attacks will start to stick because people get in airplanes. Anger is not his first, you know, expressing anger is not his strength, right? He's very even, he's very calm, he's very rational. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that sort of performative anger is is not uh, within his range. Maggie, land this plane because we got to go. <laughs> I think I'll do it very briefly. I think that both of you are correct that he is seen as an effective spokesman and that's part of why. What a great place on to the end. Right. But, but <laughs> oh. I think at the end of the day, we are talking about rail disasters, potential air disasters. Uh, in the case of East Palestine, we're talking about people who are facing a yes. toxic mess. And so that, you know, there was a there was a recent interview that that Buttigieg did in the media where he was sort of talking about what he's going through. I don't think people care. Voters care right. what a cabinet secretary is going through. It was unwise to do that interview. And so, oh. Right. And so and so this the, the way that the administration has handled particularly East Palestine, not in terms of on the ground activity by, you know, actual agencies, but just the public facing piece has been confounding to a lot of people. I'll end there. That's it. Well, I'll tell you one thing we're both correct about asking Maggie Haberman to join us today. <laughs> so always a pleasure. Nobody better. And uh, Thanks, we guys. look forward to you coming back soon. And Excellent. Gibbs, I will see you even sooner. Maggie, just wait until you get the beautifully written thank you note. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm going to watch my email for it. I can't wait. The horse, the horse is outside <laughs> waiting for my note. Okay, guys, <laughs> we'll see you next time.
love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.